Hello and welcome to the Irish Catholic Podcast with me, John Quinn. This week I met with Noel Ryan, a permanent deacon in the parish of Ballantyre in Dublin. We delved into what it means to be a permanent deacon in a parish today. Noel, thank you very much for your time. It's uh, brilliant to be here today. Um, perhaps you could tell us a little bit about your background, uh, where you're based and how you came to be uh, a deacon. Okay, John, thanks for coming. Um, I'm here. I'm a, a permanent deacon in the parish of St. John the Evangelist in Ballantyre. How did I get here? About In the early 1980s, uh, I had an experience uh, where... Uh, two gentlemen knocked on my door one day and they um, they started to speak to me about Jesus in the Bible and uh, I, I invited them into the house which was unusual for me and uh, they spoke for a while about explaining to me about um, Jesus and how he lived and how he died and, and then they started telling me how bad the Catholic Church was and uh, and I became very annoyed, very angry within myself not at them but with myself uh, because I was... I just wasn't able to articulate a point of view in relation to Jesus and who he was and what he meant. So I, I headed off and I bought myself a Bible to read about this man with a bit of, and I did so for about two years. And during that time, uh, I met uh, a group of people that I worked with, men, who had who came from different backgrounds but who were also reading the Bible, and we formed a little group. And uh, we met at lunchtime and we discussed what we were reading. And, you know, it was, it was a, a very good and very informative kind of a group. And one day, uh, one of the gentlemen said to me, he said, uh, you know, he said, you know a lot about uh, Jesus, but do you actually know Jesus? And I said, well, what exactly do you mean by that question? And he said, well, you could know a lot about the president of America, but it wouldn't mean you knew the president of America. And I thought, well, I'm a Catholic and I've done all the, the sacraments, so I must know Jesus. And, and he said to me, well, have you ever actually consciously invited Jesus into your life? And I had to think and say, no, I didn't. And that day I sat down at my desk and um, I invited Jesus to be in my life and part of my life. And that had a big effect on my uh, Christianity from that time forward. And then I became involved a little bit in charismatic renewal and Father Michael Hurley, uh, priest of the diocese, came to work here in Ballantyre and he was very involved in charismatic renewal but he also had a great passion for uh, building faith communities. And uh, in 1990 uh, he invited myself and uh, two other parishioners, Ethel Byrne and Hilary McCann, uh, to accompany him to a European workshop in Milan in Italy on the cell system of evangelization. That was the parish evangelization initiative. And uh, we went off and it was an absolutely wonderful experience out there. But out there I met a deacon uh, from the United States who was there with his parish priest. And uh, I got friendly with him and he was a a very nice uh, man. He had given up a a very good career in America to uh, become a deacon and he was you know, he was with his parish priest, but he participated in the liturgies as well. Uh, and I was very impressed with the man. You know, he really was a, a very Christian man and lived his Christianity. Um, and I thought no more about it afterwards. I, I did say to myself, well, gosh, that's something maybe I would consider in the future if the opportunity ever came my way. But as we didn't have deacons in the church in Ireland at the time, I really didn't think a lot more about it. And... Um, then around 19, uh, um, 
it was early 2000s, I was down in Milltown, the Institute of Milltown, and I was doing a degree in theology down there. I was kind of preparing for retirement at that time. And um, one night, one of our lecturers came in and said that the Archdiocese had decided to uh, seek candidates for the permanent diaconate. So I put my hand up straight away and said I'd be interested. And the next week I had an application form sent to me and uh, I put it in and I was accepted. And then I started um, in 2008. Uh, we were the first group to start um, in the formation program. 16 of us started out and uh, eight of us were ordained in 2012, just in time for the Eucharistic Congress. You know, so that's, that's how I came to be a deacon. There's a, an incredible story that's there. Mm. Um, and the kind of personal part of that seems to be vitally important of your own kind of journey towards it and maybe kind of uh, having that opportunity to um, to review perhaps the Catholicism or Christianity of your youth and, yes. and the kind of supposed notions uh, yes. that you had of, of knowing Jesus and that kind of thing. How difficult was it then, you know, when, when you said, you know, you, you went and you got the Bible and that kind of thing and, and started along that process, did you find that that was kind of, did it bring you further away from the Catholic faith that you thought you knew or did it bring you into a, a deeper understanding? Initially, it took me away. Initially, I felt really um, that I, I felt like I was, I was now an alien in the Catholic Church, to be honest with you. And uh, I remember, and th this wasn't easy for my wife either, you know, I mean, it... It's difficult when you change uh, from where you were to a new position, you know, and it creates all sorts of issues to be dealt with. Uh, but Annette, in her wisdom, booked us into a course here in the church, uh, which was a, a faith development course. And at that course, I met a, a, it was been run by a sister, Eileen. And I remember uh, she came and sat down and spoke to me and said, you know, uh, obviously you've been reading the Bible with the way you interact here. And I said, yeah. And I told her my experience and she kind of said, yeah, she, yeah, that's, yeah. And I said, like, have you experienced something like that? And she said, yes, I have, yeah. And I said, well, how many Catholics would actually experience something like that? She said, oh, very few, really. It's quite a small number at the moment. And I said to her, well, I said, why do you stay in the Catholic Church? And she said to me, well, she said, I stay because I realize if those of us who had an experience of, a real experience of Jesus in our life, if we leave, who'll tell the rest? And that kind of changed my attitude, you know. And I, at that point, I began to see, well, you know, um, it is important to witness, you know. And you can always go and witness where you have a lot of people who, who are of the same mindset. Uh, but when you actually bring that into where people do not have not experienced it or do not know about it, uh, then I think it's it does give you an opportunity to do what we are asked to do, to evangelize. Mm -hmm. you know? So I thought that's why I went back to do the degree in theology, because I really had to learn Catholicism from the ground up again in a new way. Then, so you kind of have your, your book experience and then your kind of lived experience. Yeah. Do you think Ne'er the Twain Shall Meet or did, they, did the kind of theology degree in some way help you to kind of Catholicize your experiences. I mean, I'm not. I'm not quite sure. Like you know, did the theology degree was it necessary for you and your ongoing formation? Do you think uh, to try to build upon the foundation that you had experienced before, uh, and did that help you in the process then of becoming the deacon? Absolutely. I I, I read a line. Um, I think it was um, Pope John Paul II said that to be ignorant of Scripture is to be ignorant of Christ. You know. And I am totally committed to discovering Christ 
in the Word, you know, in, in the words of Scripture. And I think one of the things that has always motivated me, particularly with my diaconate, is that it gives me the opportunity uh, to speak about the gospel of Jesus Christ uh, to, to a community, you know. And that's very important because I think we need to be able to transmit who Jesus is as depicted in the scripture and help people to understand what the scripture is telling us about Jesus, you know. Mm. And that takes a bit of work, you know, but I think it's something that's, you know, for me it's kind of a, a kind of a mission to do that. And I think the breaking open of the word of God, you know, is, is, a, is kind of a key part of my ministry as a deacon as well as the other parts, you know. I mean, there are, you know, th as you know, there are three main areas of service within the diaconate. Service of the altar, service of the word, and service of the poor. And, uh, but within those, like, uh, I would see the service of the word, uh, breaking open the word of God, bringing kind of a scripture passage to whatever meeting I'd be at or wherever I'd be, I'd see that as very central to my diaconate. So, so then the process, I think for some people, they might kind of have heard of deacons, perhaps they might have a deacon in their parish. Um, uh, but I think there is some element of kind of mystery around what the diaconate kind of entails, uh, perhaps because people maybe aren't, aren't quite sure what, what it does entail or, or what is involved or what kind of drives someone. So we kind of have an understanding as to where you where in your life and what kind of drew you to the diaconate but I suppose what was it about the diaconate then yourself that, that led you at that moment to in that class to just put your hand up straight away was there did you know much about it before you went into it or what was it do you feel that led you to that moment I thought I knew a little about it but in hindsight <laughs> I probably didn't know as much uh, I didn't know as much as I thought I knew at the particular time uh, why did I put my hand up you know that's still a mystery to me in ways you know but the diaconate, I mean, it's rooted in the Acts of the Apostles in chapter 6 where, you know, seven men were chosen uh, to provide food for the, the, the widows, the Greek widows and that, who uh, felt they were being left outside. But it obviously quickly developed into something else uh, because we see Stephen as one of those seven guys being martyred, one of the first martyrs of the church. So obviously those men had taken a role in, in evangelization and that. And the, de the deacon was very much uh, prominent in the very early stages of the church. Now, the de deaconate has, has been there right through the church history. But around the 8th century and around that time, it developed into a stage on the road to priestly ordination. And the permanent deacon uh, kind of faded into the background, was subsumed into the priesthood. And it stayed that way. Now, interesting enough, um, uh, the Council of Trent... Uh, they said that the, the permanent diaconate should be brought back in, but never, re never actually enacted it. You know, so after the Second World War, there was quite a, a, a push in Germany and Europe uh, to have some, some form of additional ministry because they needed uh, additional ministries at that time. Uh, so the Second Vatican, the fathers of the Second Vatican Council discussed it and decided that they would uh, bring back the permanent diaconate. Uh, the reason being not that there was a shortage of priests or that, uh, but their thinking was that there are three ordained ministries in the church, uh, deacon, priest and bishop, and that those three ordained ministries should be re-established within the structure of the Catholic Church. And But they left it to each of the bishops in their own diocese to decide when they would introduce uh, the permanent diaconate. 
And I suppose in reality, uh, it, it is very helpful now that the number of priest vocations to the priesthood are dropping. Uh, and there are quite a few number of quite a big number of men coming forward uh, for per- permanent diaconate. So in a way, like I, I suppose it is it's filling a need within the church at the moment. Um, and hopefully, you know, it will always be there because it is a separate ministry from priesthood. Okay, and I think that's an interesting one because a lot yeah. of people might kind of conflate the two or yeah. it's kind of like a, a junior priest or something like that. So it's yeah. really interesting. Yeah. And I think that's important. So what is it about the role of the deacon then um, in an everyday kind of parish life? So so a deacon is uh, appointed to a parish then, yes. to, a, to a specific yeah. community. Yeah. Are, do they come from that community themselves or are they kind of assigned to a particular community at the behest of the church? It varies from diocese to diocese. Uh, different bishops have different views on it. In the Archdiocese of Dublin, uh, a deacon is appointed to his own uh, community, to his own parish. But he may, if he wish, uh, he may seek to be appointed to another parish, you know, outside of his, uh, away from his own parish. And some deacons would prefer that. They mm. prefer to go to a parish other than their own parish. Uh, most deacons are appointed to their own parish and they do their training in their own parish and they're appointed there. There are some exceptions to that whereby people would prefer, like we have one particular deacon who works in a very poor parish. He doesn't come from a poor, but he's felt called to work with uh, in a poor parish and he's there. Uh, we have deacons who for one particular reason or another, maybe family reasons or whatever, decided they wanted to work in another parish and that. And we also have, I suppose, the complexity of humanity, whereby we get personalities who who just don't get on, and then, you know, the deacon very often will decide himself, well, I'd, I'd prefer to move to another mm-hmm. parish to be effective. So that happens too. Mm-hmm. The process of becoming a deacon is, is quite interesting. Um, first of all, you have to be in some way involved in the church. I mean, you just can't walk in off the street and say, I want to be a deacon. So the parish priest has to know you, and he also has to recommend you to the diocese uh, for the first phase, which is known as the propitiatic year, which is the, uh, the year that you spend in discernment. And that's the year for the deacon and the deacon's wife, if, if he's married, and his family, uh, to spend time discerning if this is the right move for both the deacon and for his family, you know, because it's very important that, you know, the diaconate doesn't form, doesn't cause uh, an issue within the family because the man's first commitment is to his family, mm. you know, so. Uh, so that year of discernment then with the, the man and his wife takes place and at the end of that year, a decision is made uh, the man can dec- and the family can decide, yes, this is th- we want to go forward with this. Uh, the church will have to decide if the person is suitable for ministry. So the, the, the candidate has to go through all the psycho- psychological testing and that, that a, a priest will go through. So there's a rigorous process mm-hmm. of approval uh, before you go. And then uh, you go into the, the, the formation proper, uh, which at the moment consists of uh, academic programme, and a formation program. So there would, there's a four-year uh, degree course uh, which the candidate has to uh, uh, attend and get their final degree. Uh, but after three years formation, uh, they come to ordination. Uh, so they're ordained in the, at the end of their third academic year. And then they have two years uh, post-ordination formation. 
So the whole process takes six years from beginning to end. And within that six years, they will have completed a degree in theology. Mm. The process, and I, I think it's an interesting one, uh, should the man be married and I want to come through, yeah. like in that first year uh, where the process of discernment is happening, yes. is there any kind of um, role of formation? Is there, what is the kind of information that a man has in that? Because obviously, if you're trying to kind of discern, surely it would be good to kind of have some um, sense of, of what it is that you're trying to discern. Yeah. Well, the, during the year, there are four uh, weekends where the couple are invited to come and they come together as a group. Uh, at the moment, we're using the Amos uh, Centre out in Swords and they come together. The wives are uh, invited. They're, expe- they're expected to come to at least two. They're invited to all four. And uh, we have people who come in and speak to them. We have deacons. We have priests, we have psychologists, we have all sorts of people who come in and who who give them all the information, all they need to know. Uh, We also kind of invite them into the prayer life of the church and, uh, you know, all these processes help people and then we have a retreat at the end of the year for people who can go on retreat and it it is a kind of a prayerful uh, journey for people, you know, and we give them all the information uh, they need, we give them all the support, all the counselling, anything they need. Uh, we will provide it for them. Uh, but initially, the couple or the person has to discern a true prayer for themselves. Mm. You know? so, yeah, yeah. There's, there's no point in kind of having a, an overarching programme unless the person is actually kind of going through that yes. process of discernment yeah. in that. Yeah. So then, when you become a, a, a permanent deacon at the end of it, is this a full-time role or is it a part-time role or what does the actual ministerial role look like in, um, in reality in a parish? Okay. Well, first of all... Um, it's a voluntary service that is offered by the individual to the church. That's the first thing to say. It depends where the person is in their life. I mean, the priority for any man is, first of all, his family. Uh, secondly, his career and his job, you know. And after that is his diaconate. Now, whereas he's always a deacon, 24-7, he may not be in a position to give, you know, an awful lot of time initially to the church. Uh, you would be expected to be in the church at the weekend, you know, attend, you know, be deacon at mass, you know, do the occasional homily, read the gospel, uh, do the diaconate duties at the altar uh, at the weekend. We would expect that at a minimum what a man would give one evening a week, you know, that would be kind of a minimum. And then it builds from there. Uh, quite a few are retired or semi-retired or whatever, and they can give more time. In my own case, I'm fully retired, so I'm pretty much available most of the time. Uh, but I also take my time off, you know. <laughs> I yeah, and, and that must be important as well from a ministerial point of view, because obviously in, within the Catholic Church, currently priests aren't allowed to, uh, you know, celibacy is important, so priests don't have families. And, and one of the things that I've always found interesting myself, having worked in, in ministry full-time in a parish, is that it can put an enormous strain, uh, you know, full-time ministry can be a very strain, straining thing on a marriage and on a relationship mm. and, and on the different kind of parts that's in there. So that process of kind of looking after yourself pastorally is, is vitally important too. And oh, I, absolutely. That's something that's oh, kind yeah. of supported within that oh, too. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I'm very interested in singing, and I sing in the, in the Ballantyre Male Voice Choir. Uh, so that's my Thursday evening recreation, you know. And uh, I always take um, uh, from a Friday on lunchtime, at lunchtime until Sunday, I'm usually, that's usually time off for me. 
and Annette and myself usually go out on a Friday evening, we have a meal out and whatever. Um, and then, unless of course, occasionally on the weekend where I'm doing the homilies for the weekend, which means I'd be here Saturday evening. Um, and once a month we have benediction on a Friday, which I usually do on a Friday evening, uh, during a holy hour from seven to eight, and that's on the first Friday. Apart from that, I'm kind of keep mm. the keep the weekends free, yeah. you know. Um, now Annette is also involved in the church, so it it kind of it makes it easier, mm. basically. That's you know she understands where I'm coming yeah, from, you know. Yeah. So yeah. Yeah. I, I could imagine that could be difficult if if perhaps the the partner wasn't uh, as involved in the church. It could be a, a difficult it thing. Could, up, well, it's something it's good to you have to manage. Yeah, yeah. You just absolutely. have to manage it, like. Um, one of the things then, I, what are the kind of roles that a deacon is able to fulfil within uh, the rhythms of a parish life then? Okay, well within the parish here, um, first of all, uh, funeral ministry. Uh, I'd be quite involved in funeral ministry. Most funerals now, the, the remains come to the church uh, the morning for mass, you know, they don't come. If they're coming in the in the evening time for an evening uh, reception, then I I can do the evening reception and uh, receive the remains in. Otherwise, I would receive them in the morning. Uh, I would Father Liam would say the mass or a visiting priest or whatever. I would normally do the final commendation, and most of the time I would probably go to the grave, um, you know, to do the interment in the grave or to the. Um, uh, down to Harold's Cross, down down to the crematorium. That would be normally when I'm here. I, I that's what I do. Uh, I also do marriages, um, marriage liturgy. Uh, that's a marriage outside mass. I can do a marriage within the context of mass, where a priest celebrates mass, but I celebrate the the marriage. Um, they would baptisms. I I have my I'm on the rota for baptisms every month. Um, so Father Liam will do one Sunday. I'll do the other Sunday. Um, and they would be the main things. Then there would be uh, formation, say, of formation days that I would organise for readers, ministers of the Eucharist. Uh, as you know, we have a, a, a parish outreach program going on at the moment, which I'm involved in. Um, so there is plenty of activity, plenty mm. to be done. You know, also with the schools. Um, I we have very good teachers in our schools here, and the, and the the faith formation, the sacramental preparation is done very well, and we have a catechist who works with the priest, the children. But I would mainly bring the children and bring them around a tour of the church and show them where all the mm. all the different uh, key points of the church are. You know, so there's there's a lot there's a lot to be done. Yeah, there is. It's a huge amount of ministry and and yeah. kind of uh, being very much part of the life. Of oh, yeah. the church and yeah. of the community, yeah. what do you think, as a deacon, you were able to bring to those situations? Um, do you think there's something unique that you, deacons are able to bring into the parish life and into the ministerial life of the church? I think the, I think empathy is a big is a big thing, you know, uh, and it it must be very difficult if you're for a priest to to come into a parish, you know. And, you know, you're faced with, like here, we have seven or 8,000 people, you know. Now, I have lived here all my married life. A lot of, I know an awful lot of people here. An awful lot of people know me. And I think, you know, for a deacon, well, for me anyway, um, around funerals and, you know, critical times and baptisms, like, um, people don't always remember what you say to them, but they always remember how you treat them. And I think it's very much the role of the deacon to be able to empathise with the people 
you know, and and also be able to bring something of I think you know what Jesus might bring, you know, some some kind of the love of Christ into the situations, you know, to walk with people down along that sometimes which can be a, a rough road, you know, but but to walk with them and to be able to kind of like I said to empathize with them and to to help them to give them what they need uh, in the best way you can, you know. Not always easy. It's not always easy to know what's the best thing to do, but very often I think just your presence is enough, really. For anybody who might be listening or, or kind of thinking about the idea of, of the diaconate, what do you think are some of the qualities that are important um, for this role that, that, you know, someone who might be out there, what are some of the things do you think that will, should be part of the life of somebody if they're discerning the role mm. uh, of, of the mm. diaconate? Mm. My first instinct is to say be normal. <laughs> but I always say, like, I'm involved in the formation of deacons, and I always say to them, at the, at, you know, from the very outset, you have to be a person of prayer. You know, prayer has to be the central part of your life, you know. I mean, we are committed to morning and evening prayer of the church, but outside of that, you have to be a prayerful person, you know. Uh, you have to be generous. You have to be prepared to give. Uh, you have to be, you know, have that gift to be able to be, to empathize with people and to be with people, you know. You also have to be able to, I suppose, put some of the difficulties aside and not let it distract you from what it is you're about, you're doing, you know. And there are difficulties all over the place, you know. And there's difficulties within the church, there's difficulties outside the church. And you have to be able to see beyond the difficulties and see that, you know, you're there in service of the gospel. And that's kind of universal, you know. And, you, you know, to be able to put yourself there and put yourself out for people, you know, that's, mm. you know. Well, listen, I really appreciate it. I think there's, uh, you shed an awful lot of light onto what uh, is involved in the diaconate. Mm. And also it's been really nice to hear your personal story as to how you've uh, come to this decision and the impact that it seems to mm. have your life. just even sitting here with you it it seems to be something that sits extremely well with mm. you that uh, it, it brings a joy for you uh, and it brings a peace yeah. to you does oh, it yeah. well you know i think if you're not a, a um, if if christianity hasn't brought you into the joy of the gospel you know uh, you kind of miss something and i think joy is something we grow into you know and like i was on retreat with the the, the four men who are being uh, ordained next Saturday in the Pro Cathedral to the permanent diaconate, and one of the comments that was passed to us uh, down there was, "We were a joyful bunch of men," you know, and and I think that's that's very important, you know, um, like there is enough, we have enough distractions, and I mean, being joyful doesn't mean always being around clapping your hands and that, you know, but I think it is, um, it it's a kind of a. I wouldn't say it's a culture, but it's kind of a disposition that you get, you know, from trusting God. Mm. You know, that at the end of the day, we only have God to trust. And I think joy is very much part of that. You know, I think Jesus wanted us to be joyful, you know, yeah. not miserable. You know, Absolutely. there's enough of miserable people in the world without us. That <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Very good. Yeah, yeah. Very good. Yeah. Well, listen, I really do appreciate that. Thanks so much okay. for your time, okay, uh, Noel. And uh, there's a huge amount that's in there. So thank you very much. You're welcome. Thank you.